road connecting them. Our house was separated from the Narvies by four old pines and a tangle of pricker bushes. We all had lake views out front and a mountainy forest out back. A forest, I was convinced, and my brother confirmed, was home to Bigfoot. Do we have to go to hockey camp? Neil Narvi said, whacking the hood of my father's car with his evil Knievel stunt and crash vehicle. My brother, let's call him Ace, was nine and a hockey fanatic. Neil preferred burning things. However, the camp was close to our house, so the grown-ups could wander through the small shops in town or drink wine. Plus, it would give the frogs Neil liked to mangle with his BB gun a deserved break. Samantha and I were only five, so we stayed back with the hired help. In the car, loser, Marv Narvi said to his son, pulling up in his brown Cadillac. He grinned at his own joke, and his mustache straightened into a line. Marv Narvi was tall and reedy and could easily be mistaken for Burt Reynolds' Jewish cousin. He was bawdy and relished inappropriate jokes none of us appreciated, but he also had anger problems and could snap like a frozen Charleston chew without warning, so we all pretended to laugh. In future years, he'd divorce Marilyn, pants me at a Passover Seder in front of 15 people, and die of lung cancer. We'll be back after lunch, Marilyn said. Don't worry, Mrs. Narvi, Paulette said, hands loose on Samantha's shoulders. We'll be fine. My mother didn't offer any parting words or instructions to Carmen, just waited in the idling car, air conditioning blasting, eyes straight ahead, out the windshield. My father leaned on the driver's side, raking his hair with the oversized pick he kept in the back pocket of his iron bell-bottoms. His hair was naturally curly, but not curly enough for his liking, so he'd rake and fluff until it mushroomed to satisfaction. Only after it reached optimum height would he slide into the car and wave goodbye with the hand that supported his heavy turquoise ring. The Narvi Cadillac pulled out first, my father's car following. Their wheels crunched into the gravel, leaving a puff of dust hovering, like pig pen's dirt. All right, girlies, what do you all want to do? Paulette said as we walked over to the Narvi's bigger yard. Popsicles, I said, even though I'd just finished two bowls of sugar smacks. Paulette ignored my suggestion, as did Carmen, and I decided then and there that they were lousy at their jobs. I pined for our Swiss au pair from last year, the one I convinced that it was Canadian to put Coke on fruity pebbles instead of milk. That was the kind of administration I could get behind. Paulette suggested we go inside and play board games, which was code for, let us watch the small color set in my room, Carmen, while the children entertain themselves. Samantha and I had on matching shorts, as we often did. Marv Narvi manufactured children's clothes and sometimes brought home doubles. I was wearing my number one pair, the navy polyester knee-lengthers with fake frayed edges and a mother-of-pearl snap that was smooth to the touch and made a satisfying click every time I opened or closed it, which was incessantly. Sam wore the olive ones but didn't use all the functions the way I did. We were shirtless that day, by choice, but still spent most of the time hugging our torsos so no one would see our mosquito bites, as Marv Narvi called them. Sam wanted to play our hundredth game of Snakes and Ladders, but I had other ideas. We had an arsenal of made-up games, and the best ones always happened on her turf due to the thriving toy industry she had going over there. At my house, we had to use our dumb imaginations, enlisting ceramic ashtrays as swimming pools and my Jackson Checkers pieces as makeshift swimmers. Homespun games could really flourish with the proper trimmings, and those trimmings were at Samantha's place. I had secret plots to overthrow my mother so I could move into the A-frame and engulf myself in plastic. A part of me believed my mother had outlawed the good toys, so I'd want to be friends with Sam. It would be easier for everyone's weekends and holidays if I got along with her best friend's kid. 
The good news was my relationship with my own sibling was relegated to noogies and mental tortures, so Samantha Narvi was the sister I didn't have. Which meant not only could I use her stuff whenever I wanted, I could treat her any way I liked, and she'd most probably still like me. Of all the goods in the Narvi household, for my money, dolls were tops. My mother was crabby about dolls. My mother was crabby, period, and they were not welcome at our place. All I wanted that morning was to get my hands on Baby Alive. Even with the doll packed up in the box on the shelf at Silverberg's toy store, I could smell her plastic face. But I imagined that out in the sun it would be ambrosial. Lucky for me, Sam was a blue-chip sharer and had no problem splitting the tasks of stirring water into the powdery flakes or feeding the baby by jamming the special spoon into her O mouth, and she always let me spank the baby when she misbehaved. However, as good at sharing as Samantha Narvi was, I had no interest in being part-time owner of Baby Alive.